Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Uh, we're in a series right now called Names of God. Why have we been uh, going through this series? Why have we been teaching this series called the names of God, because in scripture we see that God gives us names as a way to reveal himself to us. All throughout scripture, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's, there's sometimes different names that are given to God, but they're all used as a revelation of an aspect of his character, about what he does or who he is and his attributes. So week one of this series, we, we talked about how one of those names is the Lord God, which just means this, he is supreme. He's king. He, he, he's in control. Week two, we talked about how he is the alpha and the omega, meaning he is the beginning and he is the end. He is eternal. Last week, pastor preached an incredible message called the Lord is my banner. And so that means he fights our battles. That means he never loses. And so today, uh, continuing this series, Names of God, we're going to talk about this name, the Holy One, the Holy One. Many times in scripture, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the Bible refers to God as the Holy One or sometimes the Holy One of Israel. In the New Testament, Peter calls Jesus the Holy One in Acts chapter 3. And then the Apostle John, he refers to Jesus as the Holy One in, John, in 1 John chapter 2. But as we jump into this, this, this name, the Holy One, and what it means, I think it's important for us to just answer a question what does that mean? What does it mean to say that God is holy? What is it that God wants us to know about him by giving this name? He is the holy one. Here's what it means. It means that God is completely pure and perfect. And he's set apart. He's in a class of his own. There's nobody like him. There's nobody that comes close to him. There's, there's moral perfection there. The Holy One means that God has absolute moral perfection. And because God is holy, it means that he will always, everybody say always. Because God is holy, he will always do what is right and what is just. Because God is holy and because he is set apart, he cannot tolerate sin. He cannot tolerate evil. Because God is holy... He rightfully and righteously judges sin and evil. He sits in that judgment seat. He is the one that righteously and rightfully judges sin. But there's aspects of God's holiness that also mean this. Because God is holy, he will always, everybody say always. always. Come on, everybody say always. always. Because he's holy, God will always do what is good. Because he is holy... His love is pure and unconditional. Because he is holy, he extends mercy and grace to sinners. This kind of seems like a tension here. He's holy. He cannot tolerate sin. He is the righteous judge of sin. And he's holy. And his love is so pure and unconditional that he extends mercy to sinners. This is, this is what's called a paradox. It's two ideas that seem like they can't coexist, like there's tension between them. They can't work together. It can really challenge our understanding of God sometimes. But here's what I want you to do. Has anybody ever been camping and put up like an old school tent, like not the ones where you put all the sticks together and make a frame, but like you have to have that center pole just right if this tent's going to stand up. Anybody put a tent together like that? The only reason I have is because when I went through boot camp in the Marine Corps, for some reason, all of our gear was from like the 1970s. So I put up one of those old school tents a few times. So when you're putting that tent up, something, something that has to be done is this center pole has to be standing upright. And to do that, there's, a piece, there's two pieces of rope tied to that pole, and they're pulling in opposite directions. They're creating a tension. They're going opposite ways. But as they do that, they're causing the tent to stand upright. 
So, so we wrestle with this tension of God's holiness that he can't tolerate sin, that he's set apart, that he will judge righteously, he will judge sin. And then there's this aspect of God's holiness where he loves us unconditionally and we're sinners and he reaches for us and he wants to be in relationship with us. I think as believers, we are called to live in that tension. We're called to live in that tension. You're not called to figure it out. That's something that is beyond our comprehension. God is so big. His ways are above our ways. There's some things we're just not going to be able to fully understand. But that's why God reveals himself to us throughout scripture in these different ways. He wants us to have a broad view of his character and his attributes. So as believers, we're called to live in that tension. Well, how can we live in this tension of God's holiness and understanding these different aspects of it? How can we follow and serve the Holy One? Remember, we're sinners. We're not worthy. We're guilty of sin. I'm speaking for myself, especially. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. He hadn't met me yet. (laughs) How do we live in that tension? This is what Jesus tells us in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. And I believe this is Jesus. He's giving us the answer. He's giving us the answer for what our approach should be as we follow the Holy One. Jesus said, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers, everybody say true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. How do we live in this tension? How do we worship the Holy One properly? Jesus says to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let's unpack that a little bit. What does Jesus mean when He says that God is spirit? Well, He's not saying that God is disembodied. Jesus just means that God is made of a different substance than you and I. That we know the fullness of God dwells in Christ. In Him, the Godhead dwells bodily. But I'm thankful... That if I, if I want to know Jesus, I don't have to see him face to face. I don't have to shake his hand. I don't have to invite him over for breakfast. Like Jonathan, if I, want to, if I want to get to know Jonathan and I want to spend time with Jonathan and I want to become friends with Jonathan, there requires some physical contact, us seeing each other face to face and talking on the phone. But I'm thankful that even though the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, that I don't have to see him face to face face-to-face to have a relationship with Him. That I can know Him and He can know me through the power of the Holy Spirit. So God is made of a different substance than you and I, and we connect to Him in a different way than we connect to one another. And so worshiping God in spirit, that's what it means. It means connecting to God, hearing His voice, feeling His guidance, experiencing His love. Connecting with God as we worship in spirit. This can be a a, a common term or a modern term that we hear a lot. It's a spiritual experience. It's something you can't explain it. You can't understand it. But you can sense it. You can feel it. You can know it when you're walking with the Lord every day. When you're seeking his presence. When you're being refreshed in his presence, when you're, when you're finding peace in his perfect love, when you're finding courage and strength because of his power, that's that connection with God. And it's not something you can see, but it's something you can feel and you can know. And I've experienced this. I've experienced this in my life many times, but especially in the moment that I consider myself saved when I turned to Christ, when I was at my lowest point, and all I was feeling was despair and shame and hopelessness and, 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 sh- and anger and, and so many negative emotions. The moment that I oriented myself towards God and I just simply said, God, I need you. Please forgive me. You know what replaced all of those negative feelings I was experiencing? It was God's hope. It was his love. I, it didn't make sense. I had spent so many years of my life feeling all of this negativity. And then in a moment... I had this spiritual experience. I had this connection with God and I felt his presence. I knew it was real and I couldn't explain it, but I knew he was there. This is what Ephesians chapter three, verses 16 through 19 tells us. 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. This is about connecting with God. This is about worshiping in spirit, connecting with God, that eternal part of us, connecting with the eternal God. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is what Paul is saying. To know him, not just know about him. To really know him and not just know some Bible stories, but to allow the spirit of God inside of you working on your inner being to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, when Jesus said he wanted, he said for people to worship in spirit and in truth, I'm thankful that he didn't stop at the spirit. I'm thankful he didn't just say worship in spirit. He didn't just want us to have a spiritual experience. Jesus didn't want us to just come into the presence of God from time to time and feel all the good things that we can feel and feel the goosebumps and enjoy a church service or enjoy our prayer time and have this spiritual experience and then continue living with our own knowledge and understanding. No, Jesus continued. He said to worship in spirit and in truth. So we talked about what it means to worship in spirit. What does it mean to worship in truth? It simply means this, to worship God the way he wants to be worshiped. To live for God the way he wants me to live for him. To follow God the way that he instructs me to follow him. Not the way I want. Not the way I want to do things. Not because of my preferences. Not the way that I see fit. Not giving God some things in my life and holding on to other things. He's the Holy One. And the Holy One deserves honor in my life. The Holy One deserves reverence. This is what the Bible means when it tells us that we should fear the Lord. It's not talking about being afraid of God. This is what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The scripture is telling us that we should have the proper reverence and awe for God in order to have wisdom and understanding. Do you want wisdom and understanding in this life? Am I the only one here in Friendswood? I want God's wisdom and understanding in a world that's full of confusion. I want true wisdom and I'm not going to get there on my own. God is the foundation. Insight and knowledge of his truth and his word is the foundation for true wisdom. And so I follow God. I worship God in truth the way that he wants, the way that he has called me to worship him. And like I said, this doesn't mean I'm afraid of God. I don't. I'm not constantly living in fear that when I mess up that he's going to destroy me or punish me. Remember, he's the holy one. His love for me is unconditional. This is what it means. That I have proper reverence and honor towards him. That, that I don't want to do anything that would separate me from him. I don't want to do anything that would grieve the heart of my king. I don't want to do anything that would offend the Holy One. That's what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. It's, I think of my father, even the, the earthly relationship that I have with my earthly father. I love him. He is the kindest man I have ever met. And growing up, I never doubted for a moment that he loved me and that he had my best interests in heart. And because he's my father, he was also the authority of my life. And when I made mistakes, he was the one to correct me. And as I've grown older, and I, now he's my pastor. He's my spiritual authority. He has the right to come into my life and tell me when I'm messing up. And he's also my employer. So he has the opportunity and he has the right to tell me when I'm not doing a good job. And because I love him and because I have a healthy fear of his authority in my life, I don't want to do anything that would offend him. 
I don't want to do anything that would separate me from his goodness and his favor and his mercy on my life. I don't want to do anything that would put distance between, my, between me and my father where I would be missing out on his wisdom and on all the things that he offers me, all the blessings. It's the same with our heavenly father. It's not that we're afraid. It's that I don't want to do anything that would remove me from this place right here being close to the holy one. So here's how I want to help you today. We've talked about uh, God, the Holy One, and, and what it means. It means that he's the righteous judge of sin. And at the same time, he's the merciful savior of sinners. So we've talked about that. And we've seen how Jesus told us that the proper way to worship the Holy One is to worship in spirit and in truth together. Which means we have genuine relationship with him and we do things his way. Now, I really want to drive this home for you. I really want to help uh, understand this and unpack this a little bit more and how we can make it practical and how we can live this out, how we can live out this approach to the Holy One. And I want to focus on this sentence or this phrase for the rest of the, uh, the message. And it's just this, posture in the presence of the Holy One. Posture, our posture in the presence of the Holy One. What do I mean by posture? Well, posture just means a particular way of dealing with or considering something. Our posture is an approach or, or an attitude. So I want to talk about that. Our posture in the presence of the Holy One, the way that we approach God, the way that we approach His Word, the way that we approach His instructions. Since God is the Holy One, the way we posture ourselves before Him matters. God's going to love you no matter what. God's going to love us no matter what. He's going to love you and forgive you, and he's always going to pursue you. But if we take the wrong posture in the presence of the Holy One, it's not always guaranteed that things are going to work out well for us. So the first posture that I want to talk about today, it's actually the wrong posture to have. This is the posture you don't want to have in the presence of the Holy One, and it's the posture of pride. The posture of pride. When we look in scripture, we see a man named Uzziah, and he was a king of Judah. This man, Uzziah, was a very successful and prosperous king of Judah. And actually, the Bible uh, talks about Uzziah one time and says, he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Hey, this was a guy that for, for the most part of his life, he did things the right way. When he was the king, he was very successful. He made sure that, that people knew the law of the Lord. But it wasn't always the case. There came a time in Uzziah's life where he allowed pride to puff him up, where his posture turned to pride. Let's look at that story in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. It says this of Uzziah, But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. They were ready to stand up to the king. And the reason they were doing this is because the law of God said the king was not authorized to burn incense in the temple. It was only for the priests. And so we see in verse 18, they withstood King Uzziah. They said to him, it is not for you. Uzziah, they didn't even call him king. I think they were pretty upset. This is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. And look what Uzziah's posture was when he's confronted with truth. He became angry, and now he had a censer in his hand, which the censer was used to burn the incense. And when he became angry, when he was puffed up with that pride towards the priests, leprosy, that disease, broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. Now, this is what I want you to notice. Houston, League City, everybody in here, I want you to notice about this story. As Uzziah was full of pride... He was still worshiping God. He actually was going into the temple to offer burnt incense as a form of worship. So he was worshiping God. The difference is he was worshiping God the way he wanted to, not the way God had called him to. 
He allowed this spirit of pride to make him think, I'm special. I'm such an awesome king. God loves me so much. I I can do this. He's going to make an exception for me because he loves me so much. I know that God has given these instructions on on what I'm supposed to do for you and I. It could look like this. I know God has given me these instructions. He's given us his word that teaches us and instructs us on how we should live our lives and what is the, the acceptable way to follow the Holy One. But I'm special. God just loves me so much. I know I've got all this other stuff going on. I know I'm still still involved in these other things. I'm still going to go in and worship. And Uzziah's posture as he went into worship was pride. And what was the result? Leprosy broke out. This is what the posture of pride can lead to. And we see it with Uzziah because he was worshiping, but he wasn't worshiping in truth like Jesus said. He wasn't worshiping in God's truth. A posture of pride can lead to that. Disobedience. There's another story of a a man named Saul, the first king of Israel. It's so similar. Saul's transgression here is so similar to Uzziah's. Is that Saul thinks, I'm special, I'm the king. God's given these instructions for how to offer sacrifice. I'm going to do it my own way. And God's, it's still okay. I can do it my own way, even though the Holy One has instructed me here And so Saul offers this, he does this sacrifice the way that he sees fit, disregarding God's law. And Samuel, the prophet, is coming to confront Saul. And as Samuel gets to Saul to confront him, Saul is building, he had just had a victory, just won a battle, and he's building a monument to himself. That's just got to be a bad look when the prophet rolls up and you're building a monument to yourself. And so Samuel confronts Saul Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel said, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience to the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Meaning, your obedience, Saul, would have been better than the best part of that sacrifice. You missed the point. For rebellion is as serious as the sin of divination, which is fortune-telling, and disobedience as serious as false religion and idolatry. Now listen to what Samuel tells Saul here. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, because you had this posture of pride, Saul, that caused you to think you could do things your way instead of God's way, you had this posture that you knew better or that you were special or that you were the exception or maybe that God loved you so much that you could do it your own way. Look what he says. The Lord has rejected you as king. And if you you know the rest of the story, we know that David becomes the next king. Saul's lineage is cut off and the house of David is established. This is what Samuel was telling Saul. You You think God cares about the rituals or do you think he cares more about your obedience? You think that if you get the rituals right, that God will turn a blind eye to everything else that's going on? And now just to make it a little more relevant for all of us, it's like this. It's like uh, saying because we attend Sunday services that God isn't concerned with what happens Monday through Saturday. Because we come in and we sing and we give and we serve, that we can go out and continue doing life our own way. This is the lesson here, that God is more concerned about our obedience and our allegiance than he is concerned with our outward expressions of worship. He he doesn't want us to just go through the motions of worship. He wants you to truly surrender your heart to him. And I know it can be so easy. I'm guilty of this. It can be so easy to become focused on building our own kingdom instead of seeking God's kingdom. How often do we get concerned with our own success, our own reputation, our own comfort, our own preferences when we're supposed to be following the call of the Holy One. Now I'm going to step on some toes if I haven't already. How many times do we cherry pick commands from God and cherry pick aspects of Christianity and cherry pick different scriptures that we like best? We really like the ones that make us feel good, but we don't like the ones that are difficult to obey. 
How many times do we just justify our sin? How many times are we confronted with a hard truth that, that is calling us, if we were to obey this truth in the word of God, it's calling us to make some hard decisions. How many times do we get to a scripture like that and we're like, ew, get this verse off of me. Oh, that, that's outdated. That's so outdated, that part. When it's talking about premarital sex, that's outdated. When it's talking about, about living with someone before I'm married to them, that's, that's outdated. This is where we're living in 2023. That's just justifications to disregard the word of the Holy One. So a posture of pride, at least a disobedience, and we saw it with Saul. It also causes distance. Distance between us and the Holy One. First John chapter 2 Verse 16 says this, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, that is not from the Father, but it is of the world. You cannot worship in spirit and in truth if your primary residence is still in the world. If your lifestyle is in the world, if your passions and your preferences and your relationships and all of your desires are things of the world, you're going to create distance between you and the Holy One. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you are choosing to live the world's way instead of God's way, you're creating distance. God's not creating the distance. It's not God that puts distance. It's you. It's us. It's me. When I think I know better. It's me. When I choose to ignore the hard, hard parts of scriptures. It's me. When I refuse to repent and I say, ah, I'm just involved in this thing. I, I've, I've got myself financially tangled here. or I, I've got myself involved here. And it would be so hard to make these changes. I would have to move or I would have to do this. I'd have to do that. I'd have to make a new group of friends or I'd have to stop going here. That's just a lot of work. But God, you'll love me until I figure it out. You'll love, you'll love me through it. That's not Repentance. It's not God that creates the distance. It's us when we make those kinds of decisions. And God is still going to love you. And you can still encounter his presence when you're living in that. That's how good God is. That's how good our holy God is and how unconditional his love is. That even in our moments of pride and stubbornness and rebellion, you can still encounter his presence and feel his love and grace and mercy and a lot of times, if you don't have the right posture in those moments when you're encountering the Holy One, you can say, ah, this feels good. I knew God still loved me. I can continue doing these things because, look, he just, I just felt his presence. I can still. It's like the prodigal son. The father waited patiently. The prodigal is the one that decided to leave the father's favor. The prodigal is the one that decided to leave the father's household. And what did that father do? He just, he waited. He waited and he watched. He was waiting for that moment that his son was coming back to him, that his son was walking back towards him. And he ran. But you know what the father did not do? The father did not go eat out of the pig troughs with the prodigal. Jesus ate with sinners and he hung out with sinners. He did not engage in sinful activity with them. He actually called them to repentance. And there were several people that refused the call of Jesus to follow him. Look at the rich young ruler. I don't have it in scripture, but just as a reference, this man comes to Jesus. He's a rich young ruler, the Bible tells us. He says, I want to follow you. What do I have to do? Jesus says, well, you have to leave all your stuff. You have to sell everything and follow me. And it says that the, the rich young ruler walked away. He created distance. Between him and the Holy One, he walked away grieving. I got so much stuff. Oh, this stuff, it's so hard for me to let go of these things. And he created that distance. Does that make sense? So this posture of pride, it leads to disobedience. It causes distance. And ultimately, posture of pride in the presence of the Holy One can lead to destruction. So what the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. I think everybody knows this. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit, which means believing that you know what is best, it goes before a fall. There was one time in Scripture, Jesus is teaching, and he says, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? 
Why are you calling me Lord if you're not living the way I've called you to live? Why are you calling me Lord, but you're not obeying my commands? And he gives an illustration. He, he tells a story. He tells a story about a man who builds his house on a solid foundation and another man who builds his house on a weak foundation, on the sand. And Jesus said that when the storm came, the house that was built on the firm foundation was fine and the house that was built on the weak foundation was destroyed. And ultimately, if your foundation for your life and your understanding and your wisdom and the way that you're going to do things, if it's based on you and what you want and worshiping God the way you want and living how you see fit, you're building your house on a weak foundation. That's what the Bible says, that pride, it goes before that kind of destruction. Uzziah, he did not worship in truth. That was the improper way. He's going in to offer incense, but he's so full of pride. So we see that. We see that there's a wrong way to approach the Holy One. But what does the right way look like? If the, if the wrong way is posture of pride, then the right way is a posture of humility. Posture of humility. I want to look at someone that had a posture of humility in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Now, this is a little bit of a lengthy passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it. Y'all would just follow along with me. But I want you to notice this first, this first line. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So immediately this man, Isaiah, the context is, King Uzziah, who was full of pride, who had this posture of pride, he's gone. And Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I love that we sang about that today. I love that we sang that song. You know what the Bible is saying here about his train, the train of his robe filling the temple? Back in the day with a king, when he would wear his robe and it would have that long flowing train, you know what I'm talking about? What would happen is every victory that that king won, every battle he won, every, every time he was victorious over his enemies, that victory would be sewn, sewn onto his train. And so the more victories a king had, the longer the train of his robe was to, to symbolize and honor that moment of victory. And so Isaiah here, he's saying, I've, I see the Lord sitting on his throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. You know what that means? God's just never lost. He is victorious. That's what pastor said last week. Jehovah Nisi, he is my banner of victory. God doesn't lose. There's never anything, amen, there's never anything you can encounter in your life that God has not already won the victory for. So Isaiah goes on, he says, I see the Lord, his, his train, the train of his robe filled the temple. He's victorious, he's majestic. And above him stood the seraphim, these angels. These angels, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to the other and said, they're circling the throne of God. These angels are flying around God and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Now this sounds terrifying. And Isaiah said, woe is me. He's in the presence of the Holy One. He says, woe is me for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. You know what Isaiah is saying here? I'm a sinner. I am a sinner in the presence of the Holy One. Not only am I a sinner, but I live with an unclean people. I live with a bunch of sinners. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, he said. So he has this moment where he is just awestruck in the presence of God. And as he is in the presence of the Holy One, he postures himself accordingly. He knows. He knows he's not worthy. He knows he's a sinner. He has this posture of humility. He, he confesses. He says, I, I'm a man of unclean lips. But look at what this posture results in. An angel flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. 
And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Just an incredible passage of Scripture. Beautifully illustrated and beautifully penned, uh, inspired by the, the Holy Spirit to tell us of this encounter that Isaiah had in the presence of the Holy One. And I want you to look at this progression here. We've already established he's in the presence of the Holy One and he knows he's a sinner. He knows he's not worthy. He knows that God is the righteous judge. And he's guilty just like you and I are guilty. And while Uzziah had this posture of pride that resulted in being stricken with a disease, which I believe is this, that pride just manifested in a physical way. Look what happened to Isaiah. He has a posture of humility and God cleansed him. It's total opposite. Total opposite with the, with the postures that they had and the result. One was stricken with disease and one was cleansed and atoned for. And then look at the change in Isaiah. After he is cleansed, he went from woe is me to saying, here I am. No shame before the Lord. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I want to do your will, Lord. I want to serve you. I want to be close to you. I want to follow you. I want to do the things that you've asked of me. Here I am. There's no more being afraid and woe is me. He's been atoned for. And now he has confidence that he can stand before the Lord and say, I know I'm not good enough. I know I'm not worthy. But I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I want to do the things you've asked me to do. So when we take that posture of humility in the presence of God, This is what will happen in our lives. You'll receive direction. If our posture is humility in the presence of God, we'll receive direction for our lives. This is what Proverbs chapter 3 says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Don't, Don't do things the way that you think is best. But instead, in all your ways, everybody say all your ways. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your, your path straight. And, and I just want to say this, going along with that scripture we just read, if you come to a part of the Bible that you don't like, and that you don't agree with, it's safe to assume that God is right and you are wrong. Like that's the safe thing to assume for us, that God, and you know, it seems like this might be old-fashioned or outdated or irrelevant or, or too hard, too difficult or silly or I just don't want to, a posture of humility says, but you're right. But you're right. And I don't, I don't want to do anything that would create distance. I don't want to be disobedient. I don't want to go my own way towards destruction. I want to stay close to you. And I want your direction for my life. God has a purpose for your life. Every single person under the sound of my voice, every location or online, God has a purpose for your life. He has a will for your life. He's got something that he's calling you to do. And this is what we believe at Life Church, that that's the best life. The best life you could ever live is the life that God has for you. And at every location today, right after service, we have something called Discover Life. It's an event that we do every month. And we're just inviting you to come and hear hear about that life that God has for you. Find out how you can start living that life. We have a lot of resources for you. We want to give you the opportunity to connect with Life Church, learn about what we do, how we do things, how you can start getting plugged in. But it's also an invitation for you to join the team. We want you in the Life family. Everybody you see that's wearing one of these lanyards, they're part of the Life family. They serve. They get here early on Sundays. They make sure we're ready to have service. They sing and lead in worship. They run the lights and the sound. They take care of our kids. That's called ministry. And a lot of them, they are living out that purpose that God has for them. They have found the anointing and the call that God has on them, and they serve. And we're inviting you to come check that out. Now, there's no pressure. If you attend the event, that doesn't mean we're going to hang one of these around your neck right away and say, all right, we need you. We really need you in the nursery. We had so many dirty diapers this Sunday. No, it's just for, it's an opportunity for you. We want to help you take your next step. So I encourage you, if you haven't been through Discover Life yet, I encourage you to attend. We'll have child care. 
We'll have some food. We're going to hang out. If anything, you're going to get some really great resources and you're going to be able to meet our team. So a posture of humility leads to direction and it leads to deliverance. Psalm chapter 18 verse 27 says this, You rescue the humble, but you humiliate the proud. You see, in your times of trouble, in your times of weakness, in your times of pain or suffering or confusion, if your posture is humility, you are just inviting the Holy One to intervene into your life and into your situation. If your posture is, God, I need you in this moment. God, you are the only one who can help me. God, I am nothing without you. God, this isn't going the way I want, but I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to trust you. No matter what happens, God, I I can experience this loss and this pain and confusion, but no matter what happens, Holy One, you are worthy of my worship. That's a posture of humility. Humility also means admitting that you need help sometimes. Humility is just admitting that you can't do this alone, and God didn't intend for you to do this alone. That's why we have the church God intended for each and every person to be connected to his body is what the Bible calls the church, the body of Christ. You can't do this alone. Neither can I. Nobody can. It's pride that says, I don't need a church to have a relationship with God. You're doing it your own way. You're doing it contrary to what the Bible teaches us. God has called you to be part of his people. And the best way you can do that here at Life Church is to get in a life group. We do something here called life groups. It's just an opportunity for you to join with a group of people who maybe are the same age as you or in the same stages of life as you. We have men's groups, women's groups. It's just an opportunity for you to surround yourself with the right people and be humble and say, I can't do this on my own. I need the right people in my life that are going to challenge me and and help me pursue Jesus. You can go to life.cc slash life groups. So a posture of humility, it leads to direction for your life, it leads to deliverance, and it also leads to divine favor. James chapter 4 verse 6 says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God works through humble people because humble people know how much they need God. Humble people give God the glory. They don't keep it for themselves. Humble people depend on God. Not on their own talent, not on their own skill, not on their own knowledge, not on their own resources. They depend on God. So your posture of humility will bring divine favor from the Holy One. And now just a word of warning. Don't fall into the culture of pride that is surrounding us right now in our society. You look around our our world right now and there's no fear of the Lord. There's no true wisdom and understanding. The world's not offering you true wisdom and understanding. It's, it's offering confusion and division and anger and pride and arrogance and puffing up. Well, this is my truth. And this is what's true for me and what I know to be best and how I'm going to live my life. And nobody can tell me anything else. You don't have the right to tell me how to live my life. Well, there is one that has the right. And it's the one that gave us life. Don't fall into that culture of pride. Worship in spirit and in truth, like Christ said. Have a posture of humility. Allow the Spirit of God to convict you, to lead you, to mold you and shape you. And realize that that's happening because of his unconditional love for you. That he wants what's best for you. That he wants you to live the best life you could ever live. That he wants to save you from destruction. Not just eternal destruction. He wants, you to, he wants to save you from the destruction that you would cause yourself in this life. If you're living by your own understanding and your own wisdom, it's going to lead to destruction. He wants to save you from that. Allow the spirit of the Holy One to comfort you in your times of distress. Seek his peace in your times of trouble. And... Let the truth of his word be the foundation of your life. This is what I believe, that God just wants us to be serious about following him because he was serious about pursuing us. 
Now, a lot of times with a message like this, and I know because I've grown up in church, a lot of times with a message like this where we are faced with the reality of God's holiness and his unconditional love, there can be this condemnation of, oh, I'm so messed up. I have made so many mistakes. Even this morning, Bo, you don't even know on the way to work the things I said, the things I thought. You don't even know what I did this past weekend. And there can be so much condemnation and shame. But can I tell you, I'm not, I'm not saying you need to be perfect. And God knows you're not perfect. And God knows you will continue to make mistakes. Church is for imperfect people, and this church is for imperfect people. This church is not for people who have it all figured out. This church is not for prideful people who think they can do it on their own, they never have a bad day. This is a church of imperfect people. We're all sinners, every single one of us, and good. Thank God. He loves sinners. Thank God he loves sinners. This is what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. That God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he loved us so, so much. He was willing to die knowing that we were sinners and we're going to continue making mistakes and that there's some people that would never turn to him and continue sinning. And he died for them too. He died so that all could have an opportunity to know God and come to repentance and follow him and worship in spirit and in truth. He loved us so much. He died for us while we were sinners. And it's on the cross. It's on the cross in Jesus Christ. We see the Holy One. It's in that moment that we see the Holy One who is satisfying His, His holiness by punishing sin and also satisfying His love by removing all the barriers between Him and sinners. That's the Holy One. He's so holy He can't tolerate sin and He rightfully and righteously punishes sin. And Jesus took on our sin. And he loves us so much that he wanted to destroy and remove anything that would keep you from him. And we see that on the cross. So we don't have to be perfect. We all battle addictions and problems and habits. I know for me, when I had that amazing encounter with God, when I had that moment where I could feel the forgiveness and love of God, I still had a lot of issues. But what it did, it gave me this fire inside of me of, I'm going to follow you. And I have these substance addictions and I have these unhealthy relationships I'm in. It took me a couple of years to figure some of that stuff out. And some of the other things, I'm still work, God's still working on me. But if I can just keep a posture of humility of saying, God, I need you so much. I need you so much. I can't do this without you. And even those moments when I make a mistake and I fall, I'm not full of condemnation. I'm full of, Lord, help me. Help me. I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want distance. I need you, Lord. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. Help me get out of this mess that I'm in. It's about taking that next step. Would you please stand with me every location? The Holy One is still calling all of us to follow Him. He's calling us to follow Him. And I invite all the prayer teams at every location here at Friendswood. Our prayer team is actually going to be in the back of this room. At League City in Houston, the prayer team's in the altar area. The Holy One is calling us. Jeanette, will you bring me one of those connect cards that's right around the corner on that other podium, please? Thank you. He's calling us to follow him. And guess what? Thank you so much. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our allegiance. The Holy One is worthy of reverence and awe. He's worthy of honor. 
And he's so good that when we mess up and we don't give him the things that he's worthy of, he's still going to love us. This is what a posture of humility starts with. Lord, I need you. And it's not just lip service. It's truly from the depths of your heart. Lord, I need you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to pray over you, but there's someone who needs to say this prayer. And you don't have to repeat my words word for word, but I encourage you to pray a prayer like this. Lord, I need you. I can't do this without you. I've tried to do it on my own for long enough, and it's gotten me lower and lower. Things have gotten worse and worse. I need you to come into my mess. I need you to reach into my life. And I need you to help me. I want to be close to you. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. I want to give you the honor that you deserve. I want my life to honor you. And I need you, Lord. I would just ask here, every location, every head is still bowed, every, every eye closed. I just want to see the hands here at Friendswood and campus pastors. If you look at your, your congregation, I want to see the hands of somebody today who's saying, you know what, I've been trying to do it my own way. I'm committing my life to Christ today. I'm surrendering to Jesus today. Or, or maybe I'm recommitting my life. I've, I've, I've strayed a little bit from the path. I'm ready to recommit my life. Will you hold your hand up so I can see it? Because I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you throughout this week. Lord, you see every hand and you see every heart. In this moment, I ask that you would move with your peace, with your presence. Give hope where there is despair. Holy One, we know that you are faithful to us even when we're not faithful to you. And in this moment, these people that have postured themselves with humility and said, Lord, I need you. I can't do this without you. I pray that even right now, the power of your, your Holy Spirit would begin working in their lives, working in their situation, that you would show up for them the way you showed up for me. Just give them a fire inside of them that propels them on the journey. doesn't mean all their problems are going to be sorted out in a moment unless you see fit, because you can do that, Lord. But I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would fill them and, and propel them on this journey that you have for them, Lord. Walking with this posture of humility in the presence of the Holy One, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.